friends and welcome to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists, from where their journeys began, where they are now, and everything in between. Before we start today's conversation, I'd really like to take the time to say thanks. A thank you to all of you who have chosen to listen or watch the podcast, but also a thank you to all of my guests who have chosen to dive deep into conversation with me and share their professional and personal journeys. You guys have enabled me to embed creativity into my day-to-day life, and I'm so fortunate that I can share that joy and passion with you through this platform. This podcast has been a passion project of mine outside of my role as a full-time pharmacist, a mother and a wife. Everything you see and hear has been built in my spare time. In order for this platform to grow and provide you with insight into the lives of pharmacists, I really need you to hit that subscribe button. I am super excited for what's in store for 2023 and a lot of that will depend on the number of you that subscribe to the channel and tune in to regular conversations. Thanks again for all the support and I'm really looking forward to the development of this podcast and our pharmacy community. Don't forget, my website is now live and up and running. You can access full show notes to all of my episodes and more at www.pharmacistdiaries.com. Make sure you subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive emails of upcoming episodes, free content and regular inspiration. Now let's see what's in store for this week's episode. I still remember my my very first prescription. It was a dental script from Oxazillin. <laughs> I was terrified. When you're managing people that are older than you, that have been in the business longer than you, there's a certain approach you have to take. I don't think everyone has that skill. It might seem really obvious to you. Don't fix it if it's not broken, right? This isn't an ego thing. This is me wanting to, well, thank you, first of all, because clearly I'm fooling everyone and thinking I'm confident. I certainly wasn't at the time, trust me. I mean, failing is a really valuable part of living. It will help you to grow. It will help you become stronger. It will help you to... I was like, oh my God, shall I do it? Shall I message her? No, I don't think I'm, I, I don't think the podcast is good enough to reach out to people that big. I have. I've told the whole world about it now. That's it. I 100% am going to do it. Oh, Anisha, that is a very difficult question. Okay, so... So welcome to the Pharmacist Diaries podcast. Thank you for having me, Anisha. Absolutely. Thanks for uh, making the time for me today and um, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I always kickstart our episodes with um, why you decided to become a pharmacist in the first place. Okay, so I didn't realise this until I was doing my UCAS applications, but my mum reminded me that in year nine, we had a project where you had to sort of think about your future career. And apparently I'd made this sort of A4, three-pager about why I wanted to be a pharmacist. And I'd totally forgotten about that. Um, but actually the the reason why it was sort of ingrained in me from a younger age, because my granddad back in Iraq, he was a pharmacist. And back in those days, it was lots, you know, Lots more can be done sort of in an Iraqi pharmacy, I guess, in comparison to the UK. So he was almost like a life mentor and coach for most of the town. And actually part of his role wasn't only to create a successful business, but it was also to support the community. So he would give medicines for free to, you know, the poorer people, etc. And I just found it really inspiring. I was like, wow, you know, the impact that you can have um, 
whilst maintaining a good work-life balance um, is incredible um, and it sort of seemed to align with my values but more importantly it aligned with my interests so I was sort of better at the sciences okay at maths and yeah when I did my UCAS application um, before that I was sort of applying for experience in certain pharmacies and to be honest I didn't like what I saw in most of them they were you know, quite rushed, um, not many services done, consultations were sort of few and far between back then. Um, but speaking to more people, I found out that that's actually quickly evolving and changing. Um, and it was still a way better work-life balance for me. Um, so I decided to go for it and ended up getting a, a place in Brighton. And um, when did your family move over here? When I was eight years old. Okay, so you were in Iraq as a child. Long story, I was actually born in Libya, North Africa, okay. yeah, where my parents worked. Um, I have been to Iraq a few times, but yeah, mainly grew up in southeast London. Um, our school had alarms as you walked in to detect any metal on you, so that gives you an idea as to the kind of school I went to. Um, so yeah, the, the opportunities uh you know, despite the challenges in Southeast London were still way better than in Libya or Iraq. So I was just grateful to have, um, yeah, somewhere safe and a good sort of education, I guess. Fair enough. That's exciting. What was it like living in Brighton in comparison to London? You know what? The only chose, the only reason I chose Brighton was just to have fun. I thought, you know, my whole life I've been a goody two shoes, doing all my work, you know, cause no trouble at school or at home. And I thought this is my opportunity to move away and really have a good time. And yeah, best four years of my life. Amazing. As I've heard it's a really good um, school for pharmacy and everyone always says how much fun they have at that university. So that's really yeah. good. They'd recently spent sort of 20 million pound renovating the facilities when I started there back in 2009 so it was a win-win great school great location not too far from home yeah that's true just a quick train train journey yeah that's it nice, nice. and what was uh, university like in terms of the pharmacy degree and where you started to see your interests so first year was I felt like a repeat of a levels and I know a lot of um, my trainees now say the same although that is changing um i just found it too theory based and not enough application of that theory since then that's changed a lot um that didn't prepare me well enough for for the future so i took it in my own hands to sort of get experience over the summer holidays and then quickly became sort of a relief dispenser um, for a big multiple, which meant that the weekends I fancy working in Brighton, I could. The weekends I fancy going back home, working in Berkshire where my parents lived, um, I could. So, yeah, I sort of took matters into my own hands to address that. But the university course itself was great in terms of, you know, the theory and depth of knowledge, but not enough application. And things are slowly changing, obviously, um, and you work in education and training. So you definitely know how life is molding and how students need to now be integrated into the work environment much faster 
than when you were a student and definitely when I was a student. Um, and I'm quite excited about that change and how that impacts students and helps them to understand the career pathways, helps them to understand what they're passionate about, what they're skillful in and where they can really take their career from an early stage rather than going through university and feeling very much like a student, even though you have short placements and then going into just the one pre-registration training year and figuring it out once you get there. Yeah, um, absolutely. There is a huge, huge shift. You're right, Anisha. It's, um, you know, COVID took a big hit um, on that education pathway because we couldn't really get students the placements they deserved and needed. Um, and actually the change in a trainee pharmacist um, once they start with experience versus without experience is huge. And so I would urge anyone who hasn't yet done a summer placement or some kind of extended um, training experience in the sector they wish to go into, then you really need to um, look for those opportunities. And now that we're out of COVID and like you say, education is evolving and Health Education England um, recognize the need for that and are even putting more funding into that as of September last year. You know, it's really important that students take matters into their own hands um, and get the university support to get them that extending, extended training required. Uh, three days, you know, times two per student year is just is not enough experience in, in the, uh, you know, workplace where I am at the moment. It's, you know, fast paced, fast moving. And the bigger chance you can give yourself going forward, the better, really. Yeah, definitely. So when you were at university, did you know that community pharmacy was where you were going to start working as a pharmacist? No, I had no clue. I didn't know. Um, you get told very little about the other sectors um, for obvious reasons. I think the barriers are sort of entry um, more than anything else. So industry, I think back in 2013, when I graduated in the whole of the UK, you know, there were less than 10 spaces for pre-regs, um, as we called them back then. And um, it just seemed near impossible to get that. Hospital pharmacy, uh, you know, obviously was more accessible. I know that you yourself did that and community pharmacy even more so. But what I really wanted to do is, it's not about going for something different. For me, it was about going for what I find interesting because of course you want to do your training year where you think you might end up. So I did a third year summer placement at Guildford Hospital um, they ended up keeping me on a little extra. So I got to see at least um, two or more months of that um, sort of environment. And I decided that actually the route I wanted to go down was more managerial um, as opposed to sort of clinical at the time. So I decided that in community pharmacy, that would you know, benefit me more in terms of career progression. So I did the um, Boots sort of summer placement programs um, in first and second year, third year obviously did the hospital and was able to make a comparison for myself and then decided that my pre-reg year should be in community purely because that would give me the opportunity to practice the managerial route, um, which I didn't see 
um, really as many opportunities in hospital for. Okay. And what was it like when you actually qualified and walked into that pharmacy in those first couple of months and started working independently? I still remember my, my very first prescription. It was a dental script from oxacillin. <laughs> I was terrified. But actually, my pre-reg year did, you know, it, it was really good. It was varied. Um, and it really sort of prepared me well for my first day as RP. So just a bit of context, my pre-reg year, the first six months were great. They were going amazingly well. I had a tutor who really cared about my progress, would check in with me every week. And then she got promoted. And obviously I was really happy for her, but the next question in my head was, where am I going to go? Or, you know, who's going to be my supervisor? So she took me out. Um, we went to a cafe down the road over lunch and she told me this news and she was being promoted to clinical governance manager. So, of course, you know, very inspirational woman that I wanted to continue my journey with, but that wasn't possible. So I ended up go, uh, spending the next six months in a community pharmacy, which was, you know, let's just say there's different levels of supervision Um but by this time, I was, you know, more independent. I really sort of got to grips with the year and what the last six months looked like. So it wasn't much of, a, of an issue for me. But the biggest issue I came across was the challenges of making the pharmacy team realize that I'm actually a trainee and not just another staff member in terms of workload. I'm more than happy to be a team player. And, you know, I'm the sort of person that will try and do multiple things at once to keep everyone happy. But in this instance, it was getting too much because in the last few months when you're dispensing and you come across a drug you don't know, all you can think is panic. What if this comes up in the assessment? So you end up looking at the BNF or you know, doing a bit of research around it just quickly on the go. But that became more and more difficult with the team that I was with, purely because of understanding. You know, That's all it was. They were lovely people but didn't understand um, what my year looked like and what my priorities were. So this was a big learning curve for me because I realized that from the very beginning, what I should have done was I should have spoken to the team to say, you know, just casually, hey, look, this is what I have to get through this year. This is what my assessment might look like. This is a kind of level of knowledge I need to have, you know, in my brain walking into that assessment. And um, it will be stressful, but I'll do my absolute best to juggle being a great team player whilst focusing on on my priorities too. So that was a learning curve for me. And once I'd had that conversation, it was smooth sailing. So it goes to show how important communication is and how important it is for team members to realize, you know, what a trainee pharmacist does. Um, because then they'll support you. And actually, they started helping me. They started quizzing me. They started, you know, making sure by the end of the day, I'd, I'd done what I needed to do, which was lovely. Um, so going back to my first day as RP, I felt like that experience of, you know, almost six months split placement working with different teams. And my experience before that of going to different pharmacies as a relief dispenser really sort of stood me in good ground because, you know, it, it wasn't the worst case scenario. It was actually okay. Um, and I knew where to turn to if I needed help and had a good network of support. Absolutely. And you bring up quite a few good points there because I'm sure there are a lot of trainee pharmacists who go into a full-time job for the first time 
and they don't know how to necessarily communicate or be assertive about what they think their needs are because they feel it's very busy, there's so much to do, I don't want to ask them for anything like I don't want to ask for study time because they really need me to be dispensing and look how busy they are all the time it's not really fair that I take two hours out of my day to sit in the offices in the back and read the BNF or or study for you know or write evidence or whatever it is they need to do it's very difficult to negotiate but we have to it's great that you've obviously reflected and you had the courage in those moments to say to your team or your manager that, hey, look, I really want to be helpful. I'm doing my absolute best, but I also feel like I need some support in return. These are the things that I need to learn and I want to be really confident going into that exam and I just need a little bit of time to study or can you guys support me by quizzing me on a regular basis so I can like take in more information and absorb the content whilst I'm doing my job. And I have this conversation with other trainee pharmacists who've come onto the podcast who have tried to advise other trainees that learn on the job. Don't just do the job and support your team whether it's answering phones, whether it's dispensing, whether it's printing labels, putting stock away, whilst you're doing that, think about the actual content that you're looking at. Like, what is that drug? What class does it come from? What doses should I know? Are there side effects I should be aware of that I need to know for this medication so that you're just learning day to day? And if you're seeing people counseling, get involved over the counter because so much of that information comes up on the exam. And if you're just exposed to it in a work environment on a day-to-day basis, you're more likely to remember that information rather than just trying to cram it in your brain after work when you're absolutely exhausted. Yeah, that's absolutely it. And at the moment with my trainees, you know, I, I try to implement not only what you should be doing to build up that knowledge, but also what to do to build up the skills behind the pharmacy operations. So for example, accuracy checking, that's something that, you know, historically we only did as RP on our first day qualified. That's something else that you can start getting into a routine with earlier than than when you qualify. So why not get a trainee pharmacist to be accuracy checking? It's a great practice um, towards making sure that you're thorough But also a lot of it is in your mind. If you have the confidence that you are a thorough, accurate checker and clinical checker, that goes a very long way in terms of, you know, your stress levels not being so elevated, et cetera, and the anxiety that could come with being newly qualified. So with my trainees at the moment, absolutely, we get them accuracy training within sort of six, seven months Um, of them starting depending obviously on their competencies and what they need to work on but that means a good four or five months of accuracy and clinical or practicing clinical checking before they become qualified and that means day one as RP their anxiety levels are going to be nowhere near the same as mine were and this is this is the part of my job that I love it's like seeing it evolve every year and implementing new things that just reduce that stress 
we all know it's a stressful workplace. So if we can do anything to take that pressure away, why not? Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And in hospital, we do that as well. We've got the, you know, their logs and they start them pretty much straight from the beginning. And if they are confident enough to start checking, they will get on with it. And some of them start it within the first six months. Others will wait a little bit longer until they've kind of feel more comfortable with it. Because there is an anxiety involved with checking. You are the last person to see that prescription before it reaches the patient. And you feel very responsible for ensuring it's absolutely correct before it reaches that person. Um, And building that confidence and that ability to know that what you've checked is correct, it's clinically correct, it's got the right expiry, it's the right drug name. There's a lot to remember in that process and having that kind of checklist in your head and it becomes habitual um, is is really valuable and doing it on a day-to-day basis is obviously beneficial. Um, so I guess when you started working as a pharmacist, how did you start um, transitioning your mindset to becoming a manager and working towards that goal that you had? So again, another thing I've learned moving and getting promoted, et cetera, heavily depends on you being um, proactive and voicing what it is you want to achieve. So I started out by working in a tiny community pharmacy in an area called Littlehampton in Sussex. And I quickly realized that what this company is looking for are numbers and impact. And I took a quick action plan to making sure that everyone's on board with what I wanted to achieve in terms of numbers and patient impact. So we built up services, we took on more care homes. Um, We made sure that, you know, I was trained up for services in, in terms of thinking outside of the box. So are there any PGDs I could sign that would, you know, get more patients through the door, et cetera. And so when the area manager visited um, five months into being qualified, I knew exactly what he was looking for. Numbers, 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 and patient impact and, you know, feedback from patients as well. So getting them to do surveys and showing them the results of that. And After that conversation, I got an email that said, okay, well, I think you're ready for the next challenge. And in my mind, I was like, oh my God, I'm not sure I am. I sort of wanted to do this and see where I got to, but I didn't think anything past that. I just knew I wanted more. I didn't know what. So at that point, I thought, okay, this is my opportunity to manage something bigger and see what happens, you know. And if he thinks I'm ready for it and is this experience, then maybe I am. Maybe I should just have the confidence that I might be. So I got promoted to managing the Chichester branch, which is the biggest uh, walk-in pharmacy in the south of England. And the services, you know, pushed me to do more training because then all of a sudden I'm not just doing flu jabs and NMSs and MURs. I'm now doing travel vaccination clinics, etc. And it's business to business um, services as well, not just patients walking through the door. Um, So the challenges of that were huge. Um, I suddenly went from managing six people to 21 people. Um, And again, a steep learning curve. When you're managing people that are older than you, that have been in the business longer than you, there's a certain approach you have to take. Um, And I learned that very quickly. And I 
just remember thinking, right, first two weeks I'm there, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to watch and go with what they're doing at the moment because don't fix it if it's not broken, right? This isn't an ego thing. This is me wanting to make sure that things are changing for the better, not just because I want to change them. So the approach was really important here. And thankfully, I managed to get the team on board with, you know, my priorities in terms of doing it all over again, getting more care homes, getting more items through the door, making sure we're providing more travel vaccination clinics to more businesses. And I'd even go on my lunch break to, you know, the travel agents next door and say, right, can you hand out these leaflets to anyone you think is going somewhere exotic and might need a vaccine? You know, just thinking outside of the box to to better the services there. Um, and I could see myself there long term because you don't want to just be changing from job to job. You know, you want to be proving yourself that what operations you put in place and what um, changes have been implemented are sustainable. So I stayed there for about two and a half years and we actually ended up taking on a pharmacy from down the road as well, which closed. So that pharmacy stock and some of the staff transferred to us. And um, actually, again, many learning points here because don't ever um, assume that everything has been date checked if it's not directly under your control, because you will end up giving something that's out of date if you're not careful. So, yeah, that was my sort of first experience of, you know, making an error, I suppose. And even though it wasn't me that signed it off, etc., I was still the RP on that day and it was still my responsibility. So, yeah, there were many sort of nuances um, that I took on board from that role um, in making sure that everything is watertight. Interesting. Uh, you sound quite confident when you talk about yourself those few years ago. Where did you get that? sort of managerial mindset from because it's not something that we learn in pharmacy like in in university do you think that's part of your character or is it like a family trait do you think that because I've got quite like I've got a few family traits like if I look at my dad he's the most social bubbly friendly person who just loves connecting with other people and when I look at myself I know that is exactly where I got that trait from. Um, I've lived in different countries. I moved to America as a teenager. So you have to put yourself outside of your comfort zone, adapt to new environments. I went from an all girls private school to an American mixed school where there's no uniform. And like, you know, when you put yourself in a completely new environment, um, especially at a young age, you do build that confidence naturally. Is there something specific that has supported you with that? Well, thank you, first of all, because clearly I'm fooling everyone and thinking I'm confident. I certainly wasn't at the time, trust me. Um, so I guess I have to start with adaptability. So this is the main thing my parents instilled in me. We moved countries, we moved house, we moved schools. Um, and that happened almost every other year moving school or moving house because of the nature of uh, my parents' jobs. And I went from going to a really awful school in South East London to a girls' grammar school where they played lacrosse. I didn't fit in. I had no idea what I was doing. 
um, all of a sudden my really good grades relative to the students in Southeast London were now rubbish. And I had to adapt and I had to learn quickly and, I, and it, it's a competitive field, right? So, and the nature in me is I do want to be as best as I can be. I know I won't be the best, but maybe I can be better than who I was last year. So my parents always instilled in me that you should be able to fit in anywhere. And if you don't, that might be a problem with you and not necessarily with everyone else. Very harsh outlook, very old school. Um, you know, maybe some parts of that sort of thinking I'll take forward when I have kids, but actually a lot of parts of it are flawed. But the positives of it are is that I've become somebody who can adapt to change and maybe resilient as well. Um, yeah, there are things that scare me to this day. You know, before joining this podcast, I felt the nerves, let alone, you know, walking into a new role, etc. So, yeah, things do scare me. But my mum always said, you know, you should be like a swan on the outside. You know, even if that brain of yours is thinking and paddling underneath, just try and glide it through, think properly before you speak, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's those kind of skills that were instilled in us from when we were younger that give the illusion that we're confident. But actually inside, you know, we there is a lot going on. But these days I would encourage anyone to really talk through any worries that they have and communicate and I had a good support network, you know, I was very close to other trainees. My supervisor was great. I kept in touch with her. Um, I know people in my family that are pharmacists and healthcare professionals. I could speak openly with them. And Google is great. You can search pretty much anything. So there's a lot of places to turn to. And of course, you know, companies like the MPA, etc., cetera, um, the likes of that. So that you should never sort of avoid gaps in your knowledge or, you know, put problems under the carpet, but certainly addressing them in your own time is important too. Um, and I guess that's what we were taught to do is, you know, don't necessarily speak sort of without the confidence and knowledge to speak. And that meant that you always sort of came across assured of what you were saying. I, I love that. And that's really interesting that you were raised in that environment. My my environment's obviously quite quite similar, especially moving around. And my parents were also quite old school in that way, like, just get on with it. What's the big deal? You can do this, you know, and kind of pushing my anxieties to the side if I didn't quite fit in or I wasn't quite happy. Um it was always find a way to make it better. There's always a solution to the way that you feel and put a positive spin on it instead of thinking slightly negatively um, or worrying about the negative aspects of your situation. And now it's really easy for me to put myself out of my comfort zone. In fact, I quite enjoy it. Um, I love to explore different aspects of skills within pharmacy as well. I can't imagine like three years ago, I would never, I would have never imagined that I would start a podcast and be talking on a video camera to people that I don't know, but I genuinely love it. I love meeting new people and connecting with other people within our profession. 
And I think it's really important that when you look at where you are in your career or in your life, that you become a reflective person. You see where you, I guess, maybe don't have skills or you're avoiding that aspect like of of work or a, a project and actually go and face your fears because, I mean, failing is a really valuable part of living. It will help you to grow. It will help you become stronger. It will help you to, yeah, live a better life. Um, and there is obviously fears within fa failing or, or even thinking it's a failure. Like, you know, you've got to change your mindset a little bit. Actually, it's okay not to progress in a job. Like if you don't get a job that you really want, look at why you haven't achieved it and take the next steps to get it next time or have a different mindset that actually I was probably missing these skills in the interview or the application process. What can I do to improve that? So the next time I go for this type of role, I get the job um, rather than putting yourself down like, oh, I'm not very good pharmacist or can't believe I didn't get it. Um, I know it's hard in the moment and you've got to have those moments where you put yourself down for a few minutes, for a few hours, for a couple of days, but then it's like face it hard, head on and move forward. Yeah, I think it will drive you absolutely insane to kick yourself continuously without taking learning points from an experience and moving on. So I'll give you an example of um, sort of some times where I learned that actually failing is okay as long as you take learnings and move on. So my last role before this one was before in, uh, with the Interface Clinical Services. And that was one of the first ever commercial roles I've had, um, apart from working in a call center when I was 16 slightly soul destroying um, but this role was actually um, like I said commercial because one aspect of the role is to try and get um, clinical directors on board with projects that are funded by pharma and you would get a lot more no's than you would get yeses purely because of sort of the nature of, of who you are and sometimes they see you as a rep etc but then breaking down that barrier um, using effective communication skills and making them realize that actually you're a pharmacist and you're here to support the patients independently of this pharmaceutical company. They quickly sort of give you a room to um, explain what the benefits are. And still then, they might not be looking to do an osteoporosis review on their patients, or they might already have COPD reviews being done by an asthma nurse and a COPD nurse, and therefore they don't need that support. So you get a lot more no's than you get yeses in a commercial role like this. And the first few months of working there, I thought, how am I going to get these KPIs? And I'd never had such specific KPIs in a role before either that wasn't more part of a team achievement as opposed to an individual um, achievement. So I actually really thrived in that environment purely because it was get up and go the next day. It doesn't matter who said no yesterday. I'm going to either find a way around it to negotiate this and make sure that I listen to what they need and take that approach, 
or I'm just going to go and do some networking and find another clinical director that will give me that time I need. And so you're right, in pharmacy, we don't get taught skills like this. You know, negotiation or handling conflict or managerial skills, etc. That's not necessarily taught. Um, again, that is evolving and changing. And my trainees certainly get, um, you know, study sessions on handling challenging situations, including, you know, how to get a team member on board and managerial training as well. But I hadn't had that. And so I actually learned way more through the jobs I've had than probably anywhere anywhere else in life. Um, and that's why it's important to change your role if you feel like you're plateauing in terms of development. Um, yeah, absolutely love that commercial role. It, it certainly put me out of my comfort zone, that's for sure. Tell us actually what made you apply for that job after you were working um, in a management role. So I worked in two separate managerial roles after I qualified. One was for a big multiple, one was for a smaller multiple. I loved the autonomy in a smaller multiple um, and ended up getting promoted to superintendent of five other branches. Absolutely loved the difference between working for a corporate and not. Um, I then had to change because of situations at home. So um, I actually needed to move regions altogether. And unfortunately, the uh, Payton's Pharmacy didn't have any branches over to where I was moving to. So I thought, OK, take this as a positive. Let's think about what new opportunities I can get myself. And by this point, I really um, was confident of the fact that I wanted to end up in a training role. So taking on the learnings from uh, that I had from earlier on in my career, I thought I'm going to voice this to everyone in this company that I've absolutely loved working for. I went up to um, Director of Pharmacy of Paydens, who's still my boss now, and said, by the way, um, you know, this is my situation, really sad to be leaving, but if a training role ever comes up, please let me know, because obviously that would be a bit more remote and flexible rather than having to you know, drive three hours to the nearest branch. And um, that that was it for me. I sort of thought, okay, on to the next challenge. If he ever gets back to me, great. If not, you know, I'll have to move on. So I was trying to find um, a role that would get me out of community, out of my comfort zone, something that might give me a bit more clinical sort of in-depth knowledge, because essentially if I want to get into training, I need to train myself first. And by this point, I'd been five years qualified and almost forgotten everything from pre-reg. So I thought, right, I, I need to find something more clinical. So Interface Clinical Services, you know, it is what it says on the box. Um, we were sort of trained very heavily in certain areas, including asthma, COPD, osteoporosis, um, and quaff, you know, GP surgeries. And that taught us a lot more with regards to diagnosing and things like DEXA scans and how to know whether the patient's osteoporotic or not. So yeah, it was very in-depth clinical knowledge um, and you were running clinics in a GP surgery for weeks at a time. You'd get all sorts of patient queries and GP knocking on the door saying, what do I prescribe here? And it might be out of your scope of comfort in terms of knowledge, but you'd look it up and you'd learn and they'd learn with you. So that's the reason I moved on to that role. Um, within a year, got promoted to regional training manager, which exactly what I wanted to aim for. 
Um, and by this point, I was training 12 pharmacists that were doing these clinical reviews. Um, but it wasn't just training. It was making sure they're hitting their KPIs. So it was training slash managerial because my success depends on their success. So I have to make sure that they also feel confident. They also have, know how to network and go on LinkedIn and find the right people or introduce themselves in conferences to the right people. And that takes guts um, and it takes credibility. You know, the worst thing for me is somebody talking about something they're not credible in because you quickly get found out. So, you know, we came up with innovative ways to try and do that with the team and sort of become more friendly because in a remote role like that, you really need people on board and over Zoom is just not good enough. So I take every opportunity I could to meet them in person. And funnily enough, one of the um, ladies that I worked with and was um, training manager with at the time, she actually now lives with me. That's how close we are. So, um, so yeah, that was that was an awesome role to learn um, how to sort of build up your team and and work on their strengths and skills um, because not everyone has the same strong points, right? We have to pick and and work on the gaps, etc. So it really is delving underneath the skin to make sure that you've understood that person and they know that you've understood them. That's such a nice transition, actually, from from where you were into a very sort of clinic facing role. You got that patient care back in your life, which must have been nice after sort of five years, reminded you of your university days of learning. Um, but then the way you pushed your mindset in terms of I have to retrain myself if I'm going to want to train other, you know, the young generation coming out of university. I need to make sure that I'm on top of my clinical knowledge so I can support them to grow further. And then allowing yourself to go into a training role. I mean, it's like perfect. It's, it's amazing that you got a mix of training yourself, training other people and still having the management. So it sounds like a really good um, variety. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I always think to myself when I'm thinking of changing roles or, you know, a promotion, et cetera, I always think if I didn't know me and I looked at my CV, how would I feel about that? How would I feel about these moves and transitions? And how can I justify the development where this person's gone from this role to this role? Are they just moving role because they fancy it and a change? And there's nothing wrong with that. Or are they moving roles because they're looking for development in something? And I wanted it to be really sort of rational um, from the outlook of anyone, even if they didn't know pharmacy. Because sometimes in these roles, you're interviewed by someone who has zero pharmacy background. You know, they're just a business development manager. Maybe they've been in the, the business a while and they understand it, but you know, maybe they don't know what other sectors have to offer. So you have to make it really clear as to why you're transitioning from one role to another and also justify it for yourself. You know, it's really hard work changing roles, even within the same company, let alone completely different companies. It's stressful as well. So work smart, not hard, in my opinion, and, and try and make each move count is, is what I was thinking. I think, though, people find that quite challenging when they look for new roles. Some people, 
I mean, in hospital, it's quite clear there's a pathway that's set out for you to some extent, especially in terms of the banding within the NHS. You know, you have a very broad band six experience rotating to lots of different specialist areas. You then find a specialty that you really enjoy as time and experience goes by. And once you find your niche area, you take on the management responsibilities naturally as you go up the chain, but you also become a specialist in an area that you love and that you're very passionate about. And it's quite easy to navigate because you've also got a huge network of pharmacists around you who are doing the same thing. So finding mentors, finding colleagues to talk to, knowing what other people have done, and then kind of following in similar footsteps is relatively easy. But what you've done, I think personally, is quite hard to sit down and reflect that, okay, I've gone into community pharmacy, I'm a registered pharmacist, I'm doing my thing. I know I like management, you go into management and you you did an awesome job and you did some really exciting things and you really pushed yourself went out your comfort zone, thought outside the box, and you did what you were genuinely passionate about. But when you left those two roles, how did you actually think or like did you have a mentor or did you have some coaching that helped you just think laterally in terms of going clinical? I don't think everyone has that skill. It might seem really obvious to you, um, but for a lot of people, I think that navigation, especially from community pharmacy, can be quite challenging. Absolutely. Um, but when you really want something, you find a way and you make it happen. So maybe that's the difference. If you find that you're really struggling to get to grips with why you're doing something or, or um, how you're going to do it, um, you know, they're two very different problems to have. Know, how you're going to do it as long as you know the why you know it's the typical golden circle isn't it it's what how why if you've got the why and you know you want it you'll make it happen so for example in my interview for that role I had to present about a topic that I hadn't even heard of and you know what's absolutely hilarious I reached out to some of the people working in that company on LinkedIn just to ask them what they thought of the role and to give me some sort of inside knowledge for this interview. And um, it's the acronym is QOF. Um, it's to do with the ways that GPs get paid. Quality Outcomes Frameworks is what it stands for. And I was pronouncing it COF, not QOF. <laughs> and the first thing he said to me was, Shireen, I just have to stop you. You can't say cough in the interview, you know, and it's, I just thought that took a massive hit on me. I thought, oh gosh, something that silly could really ruin my chances here because then it makes the knowledge that you have not genuine. You, maybe you've not spoken to anyone. You've just sort of researched it online, etc. So it taught me that I had to delve deeper and speak to more people about the role to prepare for this interview and they were all so supportive. They were my support network. People I'd never met before that were in the role helped me more than I could help myself in preparing for it. Um, but also, you know, doing your own background and research and, and reading about uh, what 
the payments are and how they the GP surgeries can develop um, their payments is you know you've, you've got to put the effort in and as long as you've got the passion for it and you know you want to go for it then you'll make it happen whether that's reaching out to someone and that feeling a bit uncomfortable or whether it's you know making sure that you know you're assured of what you're saying you'll make it happen somehow um, and there's nothing wrong with reaching out to people you don't know um, I find that I don't know why I you know never used to do it before but since meeting friends who are in completely different jobs like for example you know they're working in marketing etc and having to do cold calls or whatever it might be I thought we don't do this stuff enough in pharmacy we just sort of focus on who we already know or that maybe the team around us or maybe there's like you said a planned route of who you should go to and who you should turn to but actually let's just utilize the people that know best maybe they don't know me but they they have the knowledge I need and and um, if I can get them on board with helping me you know even better happy days yeah LinkedIn has saved me in so many ways. A lot of people have come onto the podcast because of LinkedIn. And whether they reach out to me or I reach out to them, majority of the time they say yes. Like they say, of course, I'll come and help you. Of course, I'd love to share my story. And if it helps students or young pharmacists to take the next step in their career or feel inspired by what I've done, I'm I'm there. I'm with you. I'm I'm happy to help. And it's amazing what the online network can do and how things are evolving because there's no way that this would have been happening, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I first started pharmacy. Everything was about going to a physical conference and networking with people face to face. And that's what we used to do. And that was quite intimidating. It was quite daunting to go to a conference and you'd feel quite scared to reach out to people that you don't know who've got like 30, 40 years experience. Even when I first started this podcast and I reached out to people like Catherine Duggan, CEO of FIP, I was like, oh my God, shall I do it? Shall I message her? No, I don't think I'm, I, I don't think the podcast is good enough to reach out to people that big. Oh, and I was like, you're an idiot. Do. Yeah, you're an idiot. Sort yourself out. And I emailed her and boom, she was like, yeah, I'm coming. It's fine. And, you know, you've never met before. So the worst case scenario is they they don't have the time to help or they, you know, they say no for whatever personal reasons. Um but most of the time, people will help you if you if you reach out to them. And LinkedIn is a great place to be doing that. So it's good that you went out your comfort zone again and again and again. And yeah, that's great. I don't know about you, Anisha, but I found that as you get older, your comfort zone seems to shrink as well. When I was 16, I stood up in front of a school I didn't know and went for the head girl role and I didn't get it. I was absolutely mortified. I got deputy head girl, I was happy with that. But I stood up in front of that whole school um, and didn't know anything about the school, didn't know anyone there and was going for something that I probably don't deserve. I would never do that now, never, like not in a million years. And it just, I always reflect on this. Um, and I talk to my partner about it all the time. I think 
how does our comfort zone shrink so much? And what can we do to stop that shrinkage? Just like hold that wall back, like <laughs> keep expanding. And without putting yourself out of your comfort zone, you're not going to get there. So it might not even be anything to do with your role either. Like I found that recently going to tennis lessons is actually really petrifying because somebody is watching you and they're teaching you and they're expecting you to move this racket a certain way. And then you're in sort of a game with three other people that are also going through this and you want to do well and you want to learn and you're completely out of your comfort zone. So it might not even be to do with work, but it's the transferable, right? You're trying to learn something new. You're trying to network with new people. You're trying to learn a new skill and then be consistent with it. So even if it's nothing to do with changing your job, I think just picking up a new hobby or meeting someone new at a party, etc., that's just the same. And the more that we can push that wall back of the shrinkage of this comfort zone, I think the better that you'll be equipped for any new scenarios in future. I love that. That's a great analogy. Becoming a parent has also helped me to open those boundaries because you want to role model the way you want to show your children that they can also think outside the box. You want them to be confident. You want them to push their boundaries and think, okay, I can do that one little bit step further in terms of being shy. Like my daughter, she's quite shy when it comes to meeting new people. Sometimes, you know, she'll hide behind my leg type of thing. And I guess it's easy for me to talk to people. So it's easy for me to just be like, come on, just get on with it. But actually we've had to take some baby steps, you know, like we have the discussion before we go into new environments as to how we might feel. I'm like, you know, try your best. If it doesn't work, it's cool. We'll do it again next time. And if you feel confident next time to go into that environment and say hello to people that you don't know or have a conversation with someone that you wouldn't normally do we will celebrate that and we will enjoy that moment together and then next time it's going to be easier and easier and easier and kind of creating those small little habits for a small person (laughs) helps me to think about those things when I feel uncomfortable myself as well and you know what that is such a kind and supportive approach that you're taking and helping your little one develop I don't think many people are as kind to themselves as they would be to others. And so, you know, you do have to sit back and reflect and think, I shouldn't be so harsh here. Let's take the baby steps. What would I advise my five-year-old daughter to do in this situation? It's, you know, a great reflection point to think, am I being kind enough to myself? And also leveled up with, am I pushing myself enough as well? Yeah, definitely. I love that. And it's it's all about growth. Everything I do these days is all about growth and change and creating new habits and just becoming a little bit better at what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis, um, which I love. And I love that. I love it when something exciting happens that I wasn't expecting or I push myself a little bit further. And I'm like, oh, I can do this. I get on a camera, for the, for example, with this podcast and have a conversation with someone else. And that's become very easy for me. 
but you don't regularly see me talking to the camera by myself. I put all these videos out there, you know, I get Instagram reels and, but you never see me doing a video on my own. Like this is something I'm very afraid of. I don't know why, but it's something that 2023 is going to push me to do because awesome. I'm looking yeah, yeah. to it. You've said it now. <laughs> I have. I've told the whole world about it now. That's it. Um, I 100% am going to do it. Um, and I am taking baby steps. For example, like everybody knows on the podcast who watches or listens that I used to do an introduction to the person that I would record after the episode. And when it was audio, it was easy because it was just me talking into a microphone no one could see me. I could be in my pajamas and it was easy. And now when we do video, I obviously have the conversation with you. I then write show notes about who you are, what your career is like, what our conversation's about. They go onto the website and YouTube, etc. But I've stopped doing the introductions because I'm just a little bit afraid of sitting in front of the camera. But I've made a vow to myself that from your episode onward, and I'm saying, oh my God, on the podcast, um, that I'm going to sit in front of the camera and do the intro. And this is my baby step towards getting more comfortable because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm writing what I'm going to say. It's a script. And then I'm telling everyone who you are and what we talk about. So I'm not like freestyle chatting, which is the next step after just getting comfortable. Um, so yeah, that's something I need to work on and uh, I'm really excited about for 2023. So yeah, everybody that's watch this awesome space. News. Well, I'm honored that you're doing it from today's episode. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, I know agree. we've gone baby off topic steps. there, but baby steps are really valuable, um, which is great. So where are you today in terms of work? Tell us uh, a little bit about what you're doing now. So I absolutely love my role now because it goes back to developing others and exactly where I wanted to get to. So if you remember me saying earlier that I voiced where I wanted to be to the director of pharmacy at Paydance just before I left, he miraculously remembered that conversation. And after two years of having you know, not spoken much, he called me and said, an opportunity has come up. Um, we've not had a training department before, but the person who looks after the pre-regs is moving on. Are you interested? It's like, absolutely, yes, I am interested. Didn't say that at the time, had a few questions to ask, but in my head, I was thinking, absolutely, this is where I want to be. And this is what I've been uh, working towards so my role now is training and development manager at Payden's Pharmacies. We have 113 pharmacies and the program um, for the trainees um, is, you know, a 52 week in community, but we also do hospital um, work placements. And we also do a program which is a joint program with Pfizer as well. So it's, you know, quite varied opportunities there. But also the other aspect of my role is training and developing the pharmacists that work for us, of which there are over 130. So and more and more, we're having to rely on sort of locums as well, and train them too. So my role is forever sort of 
just aligning with the priorities of the company, the NHS contractual framework, new services that come in, you know, PQS training, etc. So it means that every single day is different for me. And that makes it very exciting and fun. Um, but more importantly, it means that I'm helping other people. So whether that's jumping on a Zoom call to help someone out with, you know, a certain CPP training module that they're struggling with, or whether it's like tonight, I'm meeting up with all of my trainee pharmacists and four newly qualifieds that I had as trainees last year. And the newly qualifieds are sharing their experiences with the trainees. Absolutely love facilitating any networking opportunities like that. So and tomorrow I have a careers fair. So yeah, really varied role. That sounds amazing. I love it. And it's really fun to see a trainee pass and then enter the real world. When I worked in Buckinghamshire, it was a one-year contract as the um, program director for pre-regis as they were known before. Um, and I loved it. I only had a few. I had nine, nine pre-regis, so not that many. But you get to know them as individuals. You get to know what they're good at, what they need to grow in, how to help them to become professionals. And they move from that sort of student life to professional life. And then you see them, you know, one, two, three years after flourishing. And it's so exciting to see that growth. It's so exciting to see what they were really stressed out about in the beginning and how they were anxious about working and how they've got the courage to, you know, try new things and explore new opportunities. Um, it's a, it's a great sort of career pathway as a pharmacist. Yeah. So proud of them. I mean, sounds like such a cliche thing to say, but I honestly, honestly am like to see the four newly qualifieds tonight um, is going to be a bit of a surreal moment because only a few months ago they were trainees so if I say to some of them of the trainees now fast forward in eight nine months you might be in the position that you're sort of networking and giving top tips to the trainees that are coming through this year that's probably a bit of a mind-blowing moment for them all they're thinking about is passing the assessment at that point right um, but last year 100% pass rate um the year before that, C&D Award for the Best Trainee Pharmacist. And every single time we get a success story like that, I'm just so proud. And all credit goes to them and their hard work, actually. That's amazing. In fact, um, episode 83 is one of your uh, trainee pharmacists. I know. Alison. Alison, yeah. <laughs> totally went out of her comfort zone, came onto the podcast, but she is smashing it. And I'm so proud of her for all of the things that she's done to date and I will have another conversation with her once she gets through her Pfizer experience because I want to know more about that and I'm sure all the listeners will be really excited to hear how she got on. Yeah, such a unique opportunity um, that they absolutely deserve. Um, and also with regards to trainees, um, no one gets away lightly <laughs> in this training program. So it's quite easy to sail through sometimes um, in our jobs. It's innate in us, right? We just want to pass the assessment, for example. Um, but actually, some of the trainees that we've had in the past have been OSPAP students or they've you know, worked in pharmacy as a relief dispenser for God knows how long. Um, and actually, they're not starting on the same playing field, so they shouldn't end up 
in the same playing field. They should be developing and learning and pushing to see more. So adapting to the training needs is actually something that I think gets overlooked quite a lot, um, especially in sort of more corporate training programs. So that's something that I've been really conscious of um, in the development of the programs we have at Paydance, because if somebody's already done a load of dispensing or they've already seen a certain service, um, there's no need to keep working on that day after day after day once they've proven competency. What we want them to do is really go out there and explore the other um, sort of opportunities. So it might be going to a branch nearby where they do a completely different service that they've never seen before. Or it might be that they should help and support more um, in detail with a certain service, with the supervision um, of their supervisor. And just to go, right, how would you do it if you were leading this consultation and to be shadowed a bit? You know, it really does need to be tailored to the individual because I found more and more these days that not everyone is starting at a conventional level. It's, it's really varied depending on what uni went to, depending on whether you've worked in a pharmacy or not, depending on whether you're an OSPAP student. So these gaps need to be recognized and then they need to be addressed. And if someone seems to have ticked a lot of the learning outcomes or six or seven months in, what's the next challenge for them? Oh, I love that. That's so exciting. And that's so fortunate for all the trainee pharmacists who are working at Paydance. And at Pfizer. That's really cool. Actually, tell me, how do uh, trainees apply for your uh, training program? Well, we're taking applications already for 2024 and nice. still have some spaces for 2023. Um, we try and limit it to make sure that, you know, everyone gets the best training. Um, but if they're interested, LinkedIn, email me at shereen.awashapadens.com um, or message Anisha and, and she'll put you in touch but yeah we certainly are looking forward to um, running another round of interviews this summer and Exciting. we don't we're not available on Oriole um, actually just yet because I like to be more personal with this recruitment approach I want them to meet the supervisor maybe even shadow for a couple of hours and really get to know what they're signing up for I don't want a trainee who you know, is deciding something based on very limited knowledge and then it ends up not working for them. That would be awful. You know, they only get to do this once, hopefully. So, yeah, we take a very personalized approach to recruitment um, and the interview is more based on, uh, you know, their their knowledge of what they're signing up for and, and getting to experience that before they sign on the dotted line, as it were. Amazing. I love that. I'll ask you one last question. What does the future hold for Shireen? Oh, Anisha, that is a very difficult question. Okay, so my future holds, I suppose, working on myself a bit more personally because I've realised that I've always put work at the forefront of everything I do. So what else am I working on outside of that that is transferable? Um, I've already told you about my new tennis skills, <laughs> but, Fair actually, but actually, um, I'm, I'm going out there and seeing how I can help, um, 
you know, develop the training of others. So, for example, I do do some consultancy work for the Health Professional Academy. Um, and we develop training programs. Um, so, for example, it might be a training module on pain management or patient safety, etc. Um, but I'm also making sure that I'm still on the ground doing locum shifts because the last thing I'd want is to work remotely and not be in touch with you know the foundations of the roles that I'm that I'm training people in. So definitely um, locum shifts and making sure that I'm keeping my knowledge base foundational as well as um, sort of the advanced stuff that we have to go through. Um, but the next actual role, I honestly can't see myself leaving the role I have now as a training development manager because I really love it so much. And I've only been doing this two and a bit years. And things are changing. Things are evolving within pharmacy and how we're integrating a training year into the undergraduate program. So it's a really exciting time in terms of education. So yeah, I would definitely not move. And plus, hopefully, Payton's are not listening to this. <laughs> yeah. In case they start thinking you're you're making moves somewhere else. Which no, I I honestly can't see myself um, changing for a long time purely because there's so much coming up ahead. Um, it would be such a bad move for me to leave just before the exciting bit kicks off. By 2026, everyone that graduates will be an IP. Um, so I need to get that under my belt too. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff I need to work on and it's not necessarily, uh, doesn't require a change in role. It just requires more development on my part. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to hearing that. We always have guests come back for, a, for round two of conversations. So um, yeah, watch this space. Are you happy for people you. to um, contact you through LinkedIn if they want to find out more about the training here? Yeah, absolutely. Get in touch. Perfect. Cool. I'll link that in the uh, show notes. Otherwise, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Thank you for enjoying a conversation with me and coming out of your comfort zone yourself. I love it. Thank you so much, Anisha. Really honored.